Well, I gotta say, I'm really grateful thinking about this last year, how fortunate we've been in the Maritimes with this pandemic uh, compared to a lot of other places. And I'm grateful for all the rules that we've had that have allowed us to, to stay in that place. But I gotta say, uh, as grateful as I am, the one, the only time that wearing a mask really, really bugs me <laughs> is when you're singing in church. I feel like I just ran a marathon. <laughs> I know I'm not in shape anyways, but oh. Now, I'm grateful that it allows us to have church and gather in person, but whew, it is hard to sing in church with a mask on. <laughs> so last week we started a two-week study of the Great Commission. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, or if you were just as a bit of a, a look back at what we studied, uh, we, we began by studying verse 18 of Matthew 28. And that's the part of the Great Commission where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's not something that we focus on usually when we're reading the Great Commission. We kind of read it and then we focus on the next part. Um, but this is a really important part of the Great Commission. And so we studied last week, in a nutshell, just to summarize it up, um, we learned that Jesus created everything. Uh, he holds the universe together. And he's demonstrated that he has power and authority over all creation. Uh, and demonstrated that through his ministry, through various acts. And then when he rose from the dead, we saw that he was given absolute authority and power over everything. Because of this, he's now been given the authority that makes it possible for him to send his disciples and the church out into the world uh, and through that authority, he commands them to go and make disciples in Matthew 28. Death has been defeated. Sin is broken. Therefore, and there's the word therefore in that passage, because of that, he tells his disciples to go. And that brings us to the commission itself, which is where we'll be this week. So here's how we're kind of going to do it this week. Um, I kind of sometimes organize my sermons a bit differently than a lot of people do. Um, it's sort of a sermon, but almost a Bible study at the same time. Uh, so the first thing I do, we'll read through the passage, get familiar with it, uh, and get familiar with the context around it, what's going on in the world around this part of the story. Uh, because Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is a story. Uh, and so we kind of want to know where this fits into that story. And then after that, we're going to dive deeper into it study the actual passage itself. Um, there'll be lots of Greek today, if you like that kind of thing. Uh, and then after that, we're going to go through some takeaways. So we want to understand what the passage meant to the people it was uh, involving at the time, and then from that kind of interpret what it means for us today. And so that's kind of what we're going to do. Um, I'll just get started. Uh, I'll open in prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. I thank you that even when things are tough and things are hard, we do have hope in you. And I just ask that you'd help us this, uh, this week to hear your word and to see what you commanded your disciples and your command to the church. And just give us the strength uh, to, to follow and to trust you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Matthew 28, uh, I'm going to read through verse 18, even though we did that last week, we're going to get the whole context of this passage. 
So right in verse 18 of Matthew 28, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So, the context first uh, of this part of the story. Uh, so Jesus had been crucified, uh, and he was put into a tomb, he was dead, and then he rose up from death. He came back from dead. In Matthew it says an angel rolled away the stone that blocked the tomb and sat on it, and the guards who were guarding the tomb were terrified. Now, there had been guards stationed there because the Romans were scared that the disciples of Jesus were going to come and steal the body to pretend that he'd come back from the dead. So they were guarding the tomb to stop this from happening. Anyway, the guards were terrified when this happened. A little while later, um, the two Marys uh, come to the tomb, and they see this. And they, the angel says to them that Jesus has risen from the dead. And he tells them um, to go tell us, or sorry, Jesus meets them on the road while they're leaving and tells them uh, to go tell his disciples to go to Galilee, to this mountain, and Jesus will meet them there. So the disciples haven't actually seen Jesus at this point. Um, all they've had is Mary's, plural, um, coming to them and saying that they saw Jesus on the road, that they said, you've got to go to Galilee and meet him. And so they pack up and go to Galilee, uh, and they go to this mountain that Jesus told them to go to. And on this mountain they see him, and most of them worship him. It's interesting... Um, I say most because that's kind of how Matthew portrays it. We don't know what that means. Um, probably some of them are a bit shocked, maybe in disbelief, that Jesus is actually there. So it says most of them worship him, but we don't have the context about what that means. Um, we can just speculate, I guess. And then Jesus speaks and says all authority has been given to him, and then gives his disciples this great commission. Uh, the story varies a little bit or there's more things that happen in some of the other Gospels. Uh, this is how it's told in Matthew. So last week we focused on the authority part of this um, story. And now we come to this descriptive part. So how they carry out this mission and what the mission is. So we're going to look at that in a bit of depth today uh, and see what's there. For studying purposes I'm going to split it into three sections. So first will be his command, uh, second will be his instructions for the command, how to carry out the command, and then the third is his promise. So the first section is the command to go and make disciples of all nations. Everything else in this commission is subject to this. So we're going to look extra deep at this command part. When you start to study the Greek in this passage, you see that the command uh, the imperative, as we call it, is to make disciples. And this is a verb, the disciple part. Um, it means it's something we actively do. And we kind of, when we translate this, we add the word make into it in English. But if we were trying to shoot for a more literal translation from Greek, I think it would be more appropriate to say, go and disciple all the nations. And the reason that's important is that the, the verb in Greek for disciple is to initiate or instruct a disciple in the ways or teachings of a specific teacher or leader. So to initiate or instruct, 
But the Greek word for the noun disciple is a description, which means a student who adheres to a teacher. So when we, in English, we make the disciple part into a noun, we say make disciples, so we're saying make students who adhere to a teacher, but the command is to go and instruct and teach people. And so we kind of lose a bit of that when we translate it the way that we do. Jesus isn't saying go create students who want to learn about Jesus. Oh, that's part of it. He's saying go and instruct and teach the students that you make about Jesus. So they weren't just supposed to tell people about Jesus and then leave them, get them all excited and let them figure it out on their own. They were supposed to actively disciple them, disciple as a verb. And notice I use the word have to because in the Greek, the, word, the verb disciple is also an imperative, which means that they were being commanded to instruct people about Jesus. Now, some people have said that in this passage, the word go uh, at the beginning means as you are going or as you have gone, because in Greek it's in a passive tense. The implications of that, while it all just sounds like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, um, the implications would be that Jesus is saying, as you are going about your life, doing the things that, whatever you do in your life, tell people about Jesus as you're going about your business, which I'm not saying that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Like, that's definitely something we should be doing. But in this story, Jesus talking to his disciples, that wasn't what he was commanding them to do here. Normally, they would be right about this passive tense. Uh, when a word's used that way, it's, it's not as forceful. But, and I'm going to try and say this right, uh, every time in the book of Matthew that the Greek word for go is used in this passive form, right before an imperative like to make disciples, it always piggybacks off the force of the imperative. So, in Matthew 2, 8, Herod says to his men, Go and search carefully for the child. This is when they're trying to find Jesus after he's been born. Now, he's not saying, as you're going about your day, keep an eye out. He's saying, go find the child who's been born. Go and search for him. In Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus says, go and report to John what you hear and see. Now, he isn't saying, if you see John while you're out getting your supper, mention what you saw to him. He's saying, go find him and tell him what you saw. And it's the same for the Great Commission. Jesus isn't saying, as you're living your life, to, this is to his disciples. He's not saying, as you're living your life, you know, Peter, one, when you go back and start fishing again, if you feel like talking to someone about Jesus that you passed by, awesome, mention it to him. He's saying, go and disciple the nations. This is his command for the disciples. Don't just passively do this. Go and make it your life's mission. And I will briefly talk for a second about the word for all nations here as well in Greek. And then I'll mostly leave the Greek alone. The word that we translate as nations in the Great Commission is ethnos, which is the word that we get ethnicity from. But I think that sometimes we lose, trans, uh, we lose significance when we translate it as nations. It's done quite often in Scripture. Uh, but it was a very specific word used to refer to people outside of the nation of Israel, either directly or by inference. Often it's also translated as the Gentiles. So this doesn't mean that 
Jesus is saying that Israel's excluded from the good news. It's assumed that they're part of it. But the emphasis here, when he says go disciple all the nations, or in this case, you could say go and disciple the Gentiles, is that before Jesus, salvation, as it was understood at the time, came through the Jews. If you wanted to be a part of God's kingdom, or you wanted to be a part of his people, you had to join the Israelites, or be born an Israelite. But now, Jesus is saying that it's available to everybody. So go tell the Gentiles the good news, now they can be a part of God's kingdom too. And I think this is more proof of the word go being tied to that command to make disciples, because how can they teach the Gentile nations about Jesus, if they're hanging around in Israel. That doesn't make any sense. So I kind of want to look at this first part with all of this context in mind. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples on a mountain after he's risen from the dead. Skipping over the authority part, because we covered that last week quite a bit. Uh, he commands his disciples to go out and disciple uh, the nations, to raise up disciples and teach and instruct them including the Gentiles in the ways of Jesus. And I often say during Bible studies and stuff, um, you know, a lot of things aren't revolutionary for us because we have the whole picture. We're 2,000 years later. We know how it all works out. But we don't, we, we kind of have to put ourselves in their shoes because for them, this is revolutionary. It's a huge deal. Salvation always came through the Jews for them. The idea of God opening the door to all non-Israelites was completely foreign. You might remember the first week I was here, I said that uh, after Jesus had risen from the dead, uh, the disciples asked him if he was going to restore the nation of Israel to its former power at that time, because they had a preconceived notion of who Jesus was going to be and what he was going to do. But that's not what he planned. His plan was so much bigger than that. He said, oh, heck with that, let's save the world. <laughs> you know, it's so easy for us to have the full context and look back, but for them, like, they had to completely reorganize their worldview and reorganize their whole way of looking at everything. So this command, while to us, it's like, oh yeah, go and disciple the nations. That's what they did, and here we are, over in Canada, and we're Christians. But for them, like, <laughs> it's a whole new thing. So that's the command, and let's move on to the second part of the commission, and this is the instructions, how they're going to work uh, through this command, how they're going to disciple. So there's two parts to this process that Jesus outlines. Uh, the first is baptism, and the Greek word for baptism means to dip or immerse, to make fully wet. Uh, if you've ever heard the fancy word transliteration, uh, baptism and baptize is one of them. Basically, that means that our English word comes from a word in another language. So, baptize um, in English actually comes from the Greek word baptizo. So, we take a Greek word and make it an English word. Um, so, to understand what baptism is, we have to understand what the Greek word meant, which was to dip or immerse to make fully wet. Um, just a fun fact. I kind of enjoy these things. I don't know. I get on <laughs> tangents all the time. So this is kind of the clencher for us. Whatever we believe about baptism and the necessity, and it's a very divisive topic in the churches today. Uh, I'm going to go on a little rant here for a second. Um, I was raised in the Church of Christ, Christian Church. 
Uh, I've never understood, ever, why baptism is such a divisive topic for us as Christians. <coughs> and my theory is that it's human nature to feel like we always have to understand how everything works. We always need to know exactly the, the step process, and, and we, it kind of shows in the way that we examine things in science. We need to know how the universe works, we need to know how everything works, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it makes it hard for us because we always feel like we have to take the mystery out of things that God sometimes leaves in. We always feel like we have to have a blueprint for everything. I don't think salvation's any different. I've heard a lot of circular arguments about baptism on both sides of the debate on the necessity of this. Uh, but it always ignores the greater context of Scripture. You know, someone will have a list of Bible verses, and that's great, but we have to look at the whole Bible in context. But at the same time, it's really simple here. Because Jesus, God himself, is saying that to disciple the nations, you need to baptize them. And this is from his own mouth. Now, to be clear, I also don't like it when people use baptism to put God in a box. Um, because at the end of the day, we don't get to decide who's saved or not. He's God. He can save whoever he wants. He didn't give us a scientific blueprint for everything. Jesus is what saves us. What is baptism without faith in Jesus? It's just an awkward bath in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> but what is faith without baptism? Because scripture says that even the demons in hell believe in Jesus. What separates us from them is what we do with the faith and knowledge that we have. We follow him. Jesus says, follow me at least 20 times in all the four Gospels. And he says here, to be his disciple, we have to be baptized. Follow him. If we love Jesus and we want to follow him, we need to be immersed. We must be immersed. And I always, you know, I say to people, you know, why do you need to be baptized? Like, take the whole salvation part just for a second, this sounds heretical, and just put it over here. Why do we need to be baptized? Because Jesus said so. If we all agree about that, the baptism debate doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Jesus says to, so we do it. Um, a, a hymn that we sang a lot when I was a kid was Trust and Obey. I don't know if you guys sing that one here. Um, but it, it's Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I think that, you know, this is just one area where this is a great piece of advice. There's so many others where, you know, we don't always get the full picture, um, but we just have to trust and obey and follow him uh, and trust that it'll all work out. I think if we all can agree about that, um, then the church will be a lot better uh, as a whole. So that's my rant on baptism. <laughs> uh, now that I've concluded that, I'll briefly touch on this second part of the instruction. So we have baptize them, and then we have teach them. Uh, so this is where historically we've often messed up as the church. Um, we're, we know that in a lot of most churches we know we're, we're supposed to baptize people. That's, that's fine. Uh, but then sometimes we leave them to figure it out on their own. And 
I know that this might be an unpopular thing to say sometimes uh, in some places, but based on what I see here, that's just as bad as not baptizing them at all. Jesus puts baptism first in the list, but in Greek, order doesn't always indicate importance. Uh, in Greek, there's these case endings that indicate importance. And in this area, in this section of Scripture, they're both equal participles supporting the command to go and make disciples. What good does it do to baptize anyone if you don't teach them about the life Jesus has called them to? And I think sometimes we, we're not as great at, at this part as the church. And so, I, I guess I would say, if you've never been discipled by someone, um, I, I would want to apologize to you as a Christian, because there's so much to learn and, and figure out, uh, especially if you didn't grow up in the church. You should never have to figure it out on your own. So this brings us to the third part of the commission. We have the command. Go and make disciples. We have the instructions. Baptize them. Teach them. And then we have this third part, which is the promise. Jesus promised his disciples he would be with them even to the end of the age. And as they went out into the world, they preached the gospel. Then as they discipled the world, they would, he would be with them and walk with them. And this circles back to his authority from last week. For it's by his authority that he's able to do this. In Greek, um, this promise is what we call an ultimate promise. So that means that it does not have an expiry date. It's very similar to covenant. Um, it, it is eternal. This is a promise that does not end. Uh, and so he was with the disciples as he commissioned them to go build the church. But he's also with the church today as we strive to continue this commission. He is with us until the end. All right, so that's the passage, and then we move to the application. What does this mean for us today? So first, Jesus' command to his disciples to go into the world and disciple the nations is not a suggestion. It was a mission that they took very seriously, and most of them gave their lives in pursuit of this mission. And now the church, the big C church, uh, carries on that same mission today. Just as the disciples understood that it was a direct command to actively spread the gospel, so the church today should treat this command from Jesus as our core mission to the world and community around us. Second takeaway, God's kingdom has no borders. What once belonged to the Israelites, now anyone can inherit, everyone can inherit. And that was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. So for them... They saw the Gentiles as unclean and unworthy. And maybe they were. But the unclean and unworthy is where Jesus spent most of his time. So if Jesus is, is commanding his disciples in this passage to go to the unclean and unworthy, who are we to argue as we continue that mission as a church? Because at the end of the day, we're all unclean and we're all unworthy. And that's the whole point. And so the application for today, for them it was the Gentiles, for us, who do we see as unclean and unworthy? Who does the world see as unclean and unworthy? Because maybe that's where we need to be spending most of our time today as well. Third, and I think this is important, so it is going to be a bit longer than the other two. Um, we all have a role to play as God's church is carrying out this mission. Now, sometimes we read these passages the wrong way. 
um, will zoom in on a passage and read it, um, assuming that the whole Bible is verse by verse an instructional guide. The Bible is a guide for us, but you know we have to remember like this is a gospel. It's a it's an account of Jesus's life. The letters are written to specific churches for specific problems. So we have to understand the context going on before we can interpret it for our lives. In this case, I think it's important to remember that this is a historical account of Jesus speaking to his disciples and personally giving the disciples, at this point 11 of them, uh, a commission to build the church from scratch. Yes, that commission still belongs to the church today, but I think we have to remember that, you know, you're not the church and I'm not the church. We are the church. We're a part of the church, one part of a whole. And so I guess what I would say is if you've been carrying the weight of the Great Commission solely on your shoulders, if you've been living in shame because you don't feel like you've converted enough people to Jesus, here's a radical truth for you. We're not all called to be evangelists. We're all part of one body. You don't have to carry the weight of the Great Commission solely on your shoulders. We do it together. But we do all have a part to play in carrying it out. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that Jesus gave some Christians as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for works of service. So maybe you're not personally called to preach on a street corner, but maybe you are called to be the one who walks alongside a new disciple to instruct them and teach them, to, to lead with your life experience and maturity as a Christian. Or maybe, maybe you're called to serve in the community through your actions to those who are hurting and broken. Because we don't just preach the good news with our words, we also preach it with our actions. Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then during a prayer in the book of John, Jesus prayed that we would be one body, united in love. He said that the world would know him, the world would know Jesus by our love for each other. Or maybe your role at this point in time is to still be discipled. Because we have to remember, this is a very real role to play as well. Um, if you need to grow and mature as a Christian, if it's all still new or there's a lot you're confused about, uh, it's important not to neglect that. Or to be too proud to admit it, because that's a problem too. Because at the end of the day, we all need to grow and mature. But if this is all new for you, it is important that you make this a focus in your life. Not just for yourself, but for the strength and maturity of us as a whole, because we're all one part of a whole, and we all want to make sure that we're contributing our part for the health of the whole body. Whoever you are, whatever you are called to, one thing we are all called to is to live a life evident of the grace we've received through Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 4, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live your life, uh, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The idea is that I shouldn't have to tell people I'm a Christian for them to know that there's something different about me. They should realize that by looking at me. And we all suck at this sometimes, no doubt about it, because none of us are perfect, and that's okay. Um, but it's something that we work on for our whole lives. And at the same time, we should all always be ready to share our love for Jesus with others. 
even as we're going about our lives. In Acts 8, we see a church that um, is dispersed because of persecution, but everyone in the church is sharing the gospel with those around them as they were being persecuted. So even though we're not all called to be evangelists, we should still all be ready to share our love for Jesus with others around us. I know that seems like a lot. Um, you know, there's so many pieces there. Um, you, you might even have to figure out what your gifting is. Um, how do we even start to go about this mission as a body? Sounds like it needs a lot of organization. Um, here's my suggestion. Uh, if you've never heard of something called the Pray for One movement, this is a good one to try and start with. Uh, it, it's very easy, in a nutshell, 20 seconds. Every day, you pray for one person that you can share the love of Jesus with today. Whether it be through sharing your faith or just showing your love to someone who needs it. This is the mission Jesus has called us all to as a church, so we can be assured that if we pray for this, he will honor those prayers. And I think this the first week, uh, I talked about praying for the things of God. This is kind of an example of that. That third takeaway was very long. The fourth one will be like 10 seconds. The fourth takeaway is that Jesus will be with us. He will be with us until the very end. He who has the authority to raise from the dead and redeem the world will be with us as we carry out this redemptive mission to the world. So to try and wrap this all up and conclude, uh, we all together are the church. One church, and we share this mission as one body. You might not personally be the one who's called to pack their bags and head overseas as a missionary. Maybe you are, though. But as a body, we do everything together. And that includes this commission that was given to his disciples. We carry this out as a body. And as we work together to go and disciple, the world will come to know Jesus, whether through the work of an evangelist uh, on the mission field, or a believer in an office among unbelievers who just happens to demonstrate the love of Jesus through the life and actions. We are all separate parts of one body, working together in different capacities to achieve one common goal. And we together have the power to change the world because Jesus has power and authority over all. So whether it be across the sea or just down the road, whether we preach on the street corners or share the love of Jesus through a life evident of the grace we've received, we go together. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son and the sacrifice that he made for us. I just ask that as we ponder this commission that you've given your church, that we would have faith and courage as strong as the disciples who first heard it from you. I just ask that you would help us to know what our part is in this mission and that you would help us to go together in unity and in love to a world that so desperately needs you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.